actually applies to whatever department that you work in, also being a senior pastor, uh, also being a leader uh, in the church. And um, my, my way of teaching slash preaching, I try to be as much like Christ as possible because he spoke in parables. And the thing about that I love when I, when I research the Bible and, and the lessons that Jesus taught, he um, didn't come with, now if thou would doeth and speaketh. And, and I, look, I'm, I'm apostolic, Pentecostal, born, bred, and raised. Couldn't wear pants, couldn't cut your hair, couldn't go to the movies, couldn't do all that stuff. King James Version is the only version. I know about it. It's in my bloodstream. But I also know that in today's society, although there's nothing new under the sun, there's just a different delivery of what God originated in the beginning. So if his word says that he spoke in parables so that those that were not spiritual enough could understand, but then he also would go deeper for those that are spiritual so I want to teach to you, but also want to preach to you just a little bit today. Um, so let's just talk about this. As senior pastors and as leaders of a department, there is a image that has been portrayed and is perceived that we're untouchable. Because we hold a standard and we're sitting above and we stand high and we are looking down on the people, and we're ministering and we're leading the people, so therefore, we can never touch the people, or the people can't touch us. Do you know that that is a misconception? Because when you are a leader and you're trying to direct a team of people, or you're trying to actually bring in that person that doesn't even know who God is. And to a place of recognizing and understanding Jesus and why it's important to have him in your life, we can't say, no, 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 I can talk to you from up here. But I want to keep you, you there. You stay there. Oh, your name's Sally? Hi, Sally. I'll wait. No, it can't be that way. It actually has to be as Jesus did. He embraced. He actually was proactive and went to the areas and then even when he was going somewhere else and people would walk up and say, I need to know who this man is. Oh, I want to touch the hem of his garment. Oh, I need to get through the crowd. Or I'm going to yell from a tree. Or I'm going to, you know, yell from the side here. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. All of those things because he was tangible. He was able to impact more people than his inner. Can I, do I need to have this mic? Do I need to have this mic? Oh, there we go for the recording. Edit that part out. That's fine. Um, so with that being the case, and I'm, I'm not going to use this because it, it's going to be a distraction for me. So I think about how Jesus actually interacted. Even when uh, he was a child at the age of 12 into the market, he proactively went into the temple. Proactively sat with the elders, proactively answered questions when 
they seemed like they were stomped. And then they were like, well, hold on for a second. How is it that this young child has the wisdom that he has? But if he, being God and all-powerful, would have just said, you know what? You're too little for me. You're small. You're beneath me. Those wise men would have never gotten wiser. The disciples were chosen because Jesus proactively saw them in their natural state. Peter, prime example, fishing. He said, hey, hey, Pete, cast your net on this side. What? I'm a professional fisherman, Jesus. You can't tell me what to do. Now, this is the, you know, the JIV, the Joshua International Version. All right? You can't tell me. I, this is my profession. Now, just throw the net on the right side. So because Jesus proactively interacted with Peter, Peter then said, okay, I'll do it, even though I've been, mm. oh, wait a second, now I can't pull it in. He had to bring in a second person, right? And so now Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Which now Peter, who happens to be the same person that Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. So practically, there are steps that we have to take as pastors and as leaders to build this type of relationship. Now, what better way than to give an example either by experience or revelation? And that's what I'm going to give you today. Now, I can speak from my past churches from America where the understanding is status. In mega churches, small churches, all of the above. I come from a church where my uncle was the pastor. Um, pretty much it broke down. We had about 70 members on a good Sunday, which would be about Easter Sunday. And on this side, it was all of my cousins from my uncle's side. And then on this side, it was all of the members from my uncle's wife's side, my aunt's side. So everyone that was in the church was kin to each other some way, somehow, either by blood or by marriage. And my uncle was the pastor, and God bless him, he taught a great word every week. Sometimes the word went longer than what it was supposed to. But it was still a good word. My father, his brother, was the associate pastor. And his mindset was totally different. Josh, I'm only going to speak what God says to speak. If that's two minutes, then it's two minutes. If it's 25 minutes, it's 25 minutes, but it should never be over 30. <laughs> so, um, you know, different, different, you know, ways of presenting. But both my father and my uncle had a great message that was from the Holy Spirit every week. Foundation. But because they were family, there was really no, like, hindrance for me to go, hey, Uncle Hayes, when you spoke about, you know, A, B, and C, what did, what did, what did you mean by that? And he would say, well, Josh, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. Well, Dad, you preached and you said this, 
Now, I need a clear understanding of what that means. Well, son, let's take a sit down and let's get the Bible and blah, 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 right? Because I lived in the same house. So I had that freedom. I had that ability to go to them. I had access to them. And because our church was the nature that it was, which was a family church built with actual family, even though we call church family, this, our church was actually blood family. That was what it was. Well, God transitioned me from that as I got older to uh, a mega church uh, in Tampa, Florida. So I went from seeing 70 members on a good Sunday to 20,000. So you see, I'm bald. And it may be by choice, but the choice was forced because of experiences and things of that sort, right? So now I thought to myself, God, how in the world can you take me from this family-oriented church to this big mega church where on paper it's 20,000 people and we're having four services you know, three services in the morning and then a night service and then a midweek service and it's 3,000 people in each service every time and then we got another campus that we do special events and all this good stuff and then you want me to help teaching the choir, singing the songs, worship leading and being in the meetings while having my own job because they don't pay enough here in the church. But then the pastor, because of the status... I'm the pastor of this church. I will preach and teach to you, but you can't touch me. And it became a scenario for the five years that I was there. I watched and I saw where God showed me the good, the bad, and the ugly of how to do church. And I thought to myself, man, I don't even have access to ask the pastor a question about his sermon, and he didn't teach his team under him to be accessible as well. It was kind of like if you were the in crowd, you were the only crowd. And then I was transitioned, and God allowed me to, you know, move from that to Atlanta, Georgia, where I got another ministries, and same old thing, you know, church of 5,000, church of 10,000. So I'm like, God, why, why, what's going on? Why, why, I mean, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know that he was setting me up for what I'm doing now and eventually for the next step. And so I looked at the common trend of it all, all the way until I got to Atlanta, 2014, June, 2014, when I walked through a door and this bald-headed guy shook my hand and said, hey, Welcome to Influences. And I said, thank you. Happy to be here. And I walked in because my friend invited me, stood on the front row, and I was like, man, I do not want to be on the front row. You got to understand, I'm tired of the front row, this whole VIP section. uh, The Holy Spirit is in the entire building. He's not just on the front row. Please, let's just stop this like, mm, it's not truth, right? And he was like, just stand on the front row. Just, you know, because I come from a world where after I left my church, but even in my 70-member church at home, the important people sat on the first two to three rows. The first family. Is this presidential? No, but that's what it was. So if you're part of the, 
you know, immediate family, then you sat on the row. And if you're part of this, you sat on this row, and blah, blah, blah. And then all the way up to when I went, and it was if you're a professional athlete, if you're, you know, uh, a TV mogul, if you're this person, right? Until I got to influencers where the first thing I told um, my friend was, I don't want to be on the front row. I don't want people to know or think that there is status and blah, blah, blah. He was like, dude, just come up here. You're my guest. So you're sitting here by me. All right, great. So I'm standing there. Worship is going on. And then I see that same bald-headed guy walk and stand on the front row and sit down. And I said, oh, that's the doorman. He uh, welcomed me, the door greeter person. And he goes, nah, that's the pastor. I said, no, it's not. I said, that's not. That's actually the guy that said, welcome to Influencers Church. He said, that's Pastor Ashley. And I said, wait a second here. So you mean to tell me that your senior pastor is at the front door greeting the people and saying, welcome to Influencers Church? He was like, yeah, he does it every Sunday. He's the first one here and the last one to leave. I said, nah, that's not real. Must be fake. He's just doing that because how long has this church been here? And he was like, four years. I was like, yep, it's a plant. That's the only reason why, you know, it takes about five, six years before a plant to really get off his feet. And that's the only reason why he's doing that. No, that's what he's been doing from day one. And so I thought, okay, first things first. And I didn't know because it was the first time I visited. I said, God, you know, if this is the church that you want me to be a part of, I want the man of God to preach about one, two, three, and four. I mean, it was one of those declaration prayers. That's the only way that I'm going to join this church. And I was telling Pastor Rob, it's funny, because my music director from my previous church had just got a job at a church on the south side of Atlanta, Georgia. And I went to go visit him at 830 service. And that pastor preached on three of the four things. And I thought, oh, Holy Spirit, you talking today. I'm just going to stay for the next service because I know he'll get the point number four. And then this will be the church that I'm supposed to be at. But then Cobb, my friend, texted me and said, are you still coming to church? Service starts at 11 o'clock. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I will. So because of the distance from the south side of Atlanta and the north side of Atlanta, which is where influencers Gwinnett is, it was an hour drive. So I drove an hour, got there in time. And God is my witness. Pastor Ashley spoke on all four points. And I said, well, praise God. I would have missed out if I would have stayed at the other church because it was presented in the way that I prayed and it was perfect. And then so I was like, thank you, God, so much for this. And then to see that Pastor Ashley greeted me at the door and then came and sat on the front row and was just like, oh, hey, because he didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. But that personal feel and relationship was right there. He preached. I was like, I'm sold. Holy Spirit, tick box, one, two, three, and four. We go to what we call the blue room, which is just the um, like first time guest, second time guest, or uh, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, like this is a little area that we do after church. And so he came and he said, oh, so you're Josh, you're the guy that Cobb and Katie have been talking about, blah, blah, blah. Let's do lunch sometime. And I was like, oh, here it goes. Those pastors that say, let's do lunch. And it's really just their way of saying, yeah, glad you came. All right, bye. 
You know what I mean? And so I did not expect to hear from Pastor Ashley again. I did not expect to talk to him, but that was Sunday. And on Tuesday, he called me at 8.15 in the morning and said, let's do breakfast. I have a meeting at lunch, so I don't want to miss that meeting, but I want to make sure that I have breakfast with you. And I thought, this can't be real because it goes against everything that I've seen and that I've been used to, even though the Bible in itself has the example that we're supposed to live off of, which is Jesus being interactive and intermingling with the sinners. And I wasn't a sinner, but I was just a regular guy that loved God and loved Jesus and tried to live the best way. And so when we ate breakfast, we had a chance to talk and everything like that. And here's the thing. Um, it was so personable that I told him all the mess that I experienced in church. And I just said, I don't want to be a part of this ministry. I just want to sit. Give me two months. I just want to make sure you're a legit pastor. And he looked at me and said, oh, yeah, that's great. I'll give you two weeks. And I said, wait, no, two months, as in 60 days. He said, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Two weeks. Because if you've been in the game and you get injured and then you come and you stay on the sideline for so long, you will then notice that the game is actually still being played. And your mind will tell you that they don't need me anymore. So I'll just settle and be on the sideline. But there is actually a calling on your life that God needs you to answer and operate in. And so I looked at him and I said, that's great, Pastor Ashley. You said two weeks. It's going to be two months, but I'll entertain you two weeks. So we left that meeting in two weeks. I was on the platform and uh, operating. And then now here you see me and my wife here. But in that interaction, as a senior pastor, I ask you, how many of you are willing to be the first one and the last one? How many of you are willing to shake the hands of every person that walks in, whether they've been coming to your church for 35 years or for 35 minutes? Because the moment that a person sees that you're approachable, they now will begin to ask the questions that can get you to the pathway to get them saved. What must I do to be saved? How is it that you are passing this church and I know that Port Lincoln is this style and has this type of people and blah, 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 and you got a smile on your face? Who does that? And you're able to say, well, it's the love of Jesus Christ. Well, who is this Jesus that you're talking about? I need to know more about him. Now, you can go into a whole sermon right then and there, or you can say, you know what? I'll talk to you for 10, 15 minutes now, but let's set up a time where I come to, you know, meet you at this place or meet you at this place or, you know, you do that. And you begin that relationship and you're putting that person on a journey that is called discipling. So if you look at what Jesus did, he discovered, he discipled, and then he deployed. He discovered the disciples, even though they were not called disciples then, but he discovered each and every last one of the original 12. And then, you know, once, you know, 
Judas did what he did. The remaining 11 had to figure out who's going to replace him. But Jesus ultimately went and he discovered the 12. But then others, because the Bible says that the, the 12 and the others, the disciples, they follow him. So there were actually more than the 12, but it was just that 12 that was kind of like his comrades that were like, hey, I'm going to give you all of the knowledge. I'm going to show you everything because you will be vital in the plan number two when I leave. But you got to re remember that you have to show this to the rest of the disciples that are following. So as it says, uh, I believe Paul said it best, follow me as I follow Christ. So because he discovered how do you discover something? You, as spiritual leaders, have to keep your spiritual eye and your natural eye open for giftings within people that they don't even know that they have. So, how do you do that? Well, you just pray to God to give you a spiritual eye. What do you need in your church? Well, I actually need some door greeters. I actually need first impressions. That's what we call them. I actually need host team. I actually need you know, prayer team. I actually need intercessors. I actually need also you look at what your needs are. And yes, you start praying it out, but then you start looking in your congregation and going, do I have anyone that actually has that gift on their life? And the moment that you recognize it, you then begin to have those conversations with those individuals and just talk to them. And they may not even know it. All right. So once you identify and you discover, you disciple now, discipling is that journey <laughs> that is very tough because some people don't want to be discipled. And then you ask yourself, well, how long do I disciple this person that's fighting everything that I'm trying to teach them? I'm actually trying to help you be a better person in this journey. Um, and that just takes patience. It takes love. It takes meekness. It takes all of the fruits of the spirit, all of them. But here's the problem with uh, discipling that I've seen in the years of being in church. I'm, I'm a lot older than what I look like. I just drink a lot of water. And, uh, you know, there's a saying in America, black don't crack. And so because of those good things, good genes and all that good stuff, you know, I, now I actually have some experience, but God has also given me revelation. Um, but we as leaders can't quickly give up on someone. So a lot of times we go, man, I've been doing this for a long time and I just don't really have time. I don't have the patience to do this. Either you want it, choose ye. You, we, we, we even try to get biblical. Choose ye this day what you would do. Host team or just a seat filler? Which one? Because I'm not going to be bothered with you. But we actually have to be willing to go you know what? They're on a journey, and I got to walk them on this journey. And it may take three months. It may take three years. Now, I'm not telling you to give 100% all of all your attention and, like, forget everyone else, but you have to strategically say, in my diary, in my calendar, this day for this one hour is allocated for this individual so that I can help them grow. And then, because it's just a reality that we can't touch everybody, 
we then have to connect that person with someone else that has already been discipled and already been deployed. And you go, I will meet with them on this week, but then you meet with them for this week and that week. And then I'll come back and just make sure that they're still on the right path here. So now, instead of them just having a one-on-one connection, there's actually multiple versions of contact. And then you, as the oversight, as the senior pastor, can check with that disciple that's already been deployed and say, how is Sally doing? She's still struggling. Okay, I'm going to reach out to her just to let her know that I care about her and that we're still going to do this, that she's going to make it. I don't care that she had a mess up. That's just the way it is. As long as she's not continuously messing up and she wants to do right, we'll get it. So those are the three things that I noticed that Jesus did in the Bible. He discovered, he discipled, and he deployed. The three years that he had the disciples, he was discipling them. And then when it was time for him to be crucified, that was their deployment. Acts 2, when they were in the house, Jesus came back. He actually visited almost 500 people. And this was after he came back. He visited. And to, to someone that has seen Jesus, they saw him be crucified, and then they saw him walking and talking after the crucifixion. There should be no doubt that he is the real deal Holyfield. But after visiting 500 people, only a hundred and like 30, 20 something made it to the room. So there's still going to be people that won't grab a hold of it. But we as the leaders have to continue to say this is the path because it's not about numbers in regards of my church is now a 700 member church or a thousand member church or a 2000 member church, but it's 2000 souls that have been added to the kingdom of God. And we should never compete with each other. I'll repeat that again and I won't say it in tongues. We should never compete with each other. We should actually be joining and saying, what are some things that you're doing that works very well? Because I'm missing the, the mark on this. And for whatever reason, like this has been my concern, this has been my struggle. So can you have, do you have any information? And it shouldn't be, no, nah, I'm not going to tell you because if I tell you, then I mean, you might get those five members and then those five members are my highest tithers. And then, you know, I can't. Trades. No one wants to give up the ingredients to the secret sauce. But they need to know, we need to understand that the secret sauce is not a secret at all. It's actually revelation. It's God-given. And if we're serving the same God for the same purpose, which is to grow his kingdom, we as brothers and sisters in Christ should be able to help each other no matter what and not expect something in return. So, Here's another thing that we as leaders should do, and I'm not telling you that you don't do it, but I'm just saying maybe consider it. One thing that influencers uh, has done, which is mind-blowing to me, Pastor Ashley and Jane have people in their house every week. 
every week. And I'm not talking about let's get a background check on them first to see if they're crazy or, you know, it's, hey, everybody, if this is your first time or second time uh, to come into church, then we're having lunch at this address. So come have lunch with the pastors. And they announced that. And you got to understand the potential danger that that poses. Because you don't know who's crazy, who's sane, who is anything. But they're going every week for the last eight years now. Come have lunch with us. And so what happens, you have a first-time guest that comes to the brew room. They fill out their information. And then when they fill out the information, we turn it in. Now, we're hoping that they're giving us their real name, their real email, and their real, you know, phone number, right? So two things happen with that. We have record of who they are. So then we have our uh, team that's able to call them and thank them for coming to church and thank them for being a part because they could have gone to any church that they wanted to, but they made a decision to come to influencers. But then also we're able to exchange to them the address to Pastor Ashley's house. And then we get a number ahead count and go, okay, we're expecting 30 people to come to the house. Well, in that house for the next two hours, so the first hour or so is just ming- 45 minutes, they're just mingling and they're talking, having food, and just having a good time. Probably the first 30 minutes. And then they all come and they sit. Pastor Ashley and Pastor Jane stand before them and say, hello. My name's Pastor Ashley, or my name's Pastor Jane. We just want to tell you who we are, so that way you don't feel like we're after anything from you. And they give the history of the church. They give the history of, you know, who they are, where we came from, blah, blah, blah. And, and then they say, if you have any more questions, you can most definitely come to next week's service. Or, you know, feel free to ask now. But other than that, we thank you. You're free to go when you want. Just like that. So an hour and a half max, what you've done is you've taken an individual that had questions and doubts about who Jesus is. Or is this the right church for me to come to? Because the last church that I was at, the whoever said this and it just messed me up, you know, and now I'm coming. Right. So you have all of these scenarios and these people here. But now they're going, wait a second, you just invited me to your house? And I'm not telling you that you have to open up your house, but if there is a way that you have a place or a designated location to where on that Sunday, if you're a first-time or second-time guest, come have time with us. Eat food, because as family, what's the best time that you commune? (laughs) It's around food. The guards are dropped. You know, you find out all the secrets when you're eating food. Because sometimes you just go, mm, this is so good. So when's the last time you murdered someone? Two weeks ago? <laughs> so it happens. Because ultimately, I don't, want, I don't want you to miss an opportunity to go, well, that's the first time. I don't know that person. And how easy is it for us to go, hi, in church, my name's Joshua. What's your name? Oh, nice to meet you. Great, okay. I'll never see her again. Or if I do see her, it's great. But it's okay. But if I go, you know, it's the first time you're coming, I would really appreciate it if you had time. Look, if you haven't eaten lunch, 
you know, lunch will be on. It's my shout. I believe that's how we say it in Australia. My shout. Come to this location, blah, blah, blah. And now you go, that's weird. I've never been invited by a pastor to come eat lunch at their house. I think I want to go, but I'm going to call my friends and let them know where I'm going just in case. (laughs) It happens, right? But once they get in that environment, trust me, I've seen it, and this is how our church has been able to grow over the years. And again, it's not about the numbers. It's about the vision that God has given Pastor Ashley, which is 200 churches, 10,000 leaders. So, well, how does that work? Well, you got to get some people. And those people have to get the heart of your campus. They got to get the vision that God has given you. Well, how do you get those people? Because if they consistently stay as strangers, then they'll never truly embrace what you're doing. And some people actually have been saved from birth and been going to church for as long as they, and they don't even care about the house. They don't care about the vision. They just know religiously I have to be in church on Sunday. And this happens to be the closest church to me. So, yeah, I'm going to go in there. And then they go. And it can be a church where they're handling snakes and doing all this other stuff, and they'll just be like, well, they read from the Bible. As long as the snakes don't come near me, I'm good. You have those people that will be what we call seat fillers. And that's what they'll do. But ultimately, our goal and the great commission that God has asked us to do is to grow his kingdom. So we have to look at, and it's, it's a practical thing, we have to look at the demographics that we have in our church. So what is, what is the next step? Well, we've got to market. We've got to market our church. What do you mean market our church? Jesus never marketed the church. Yes, he did. I'm going to tell you how Jesus marketed his church. When he did miracles, it's kind of like a reverse psychology. My degree's in psychology, so, you know, I, I look at things a little bit different. And when I read the Bible, I always say, God, make the words come off the page. Show me the image of what it is. And I, I can just imagine the ten lepers that Jesus healed and then the blind man that he healed and then the lame man that he healed. And he was always like, no, nah, don't go tell nobody. Don't tell them. Psst, hey, don't tell them that your ear was cut off and then put back on. Don't tell them that. Now, you got to understand. It's no way. My ear was cut off and then it's put back on. And I'm going to be like, mm. Joshua, what, what exciting news do you have? <laughs> oh, nothing. <clears throat> Wait. I'm not supposed to tell you, but look, man, I was at work today, and my ear got cut off. <laughs> and this, this dude just picks it up from the ground and puts it back on. That's marketing. That's marketing. And some people may go, oh, they're being disobedient to Jesus. They didn't even know anything about Jesus other than the fact that he was a healer. Because that's what they needed. Because they needed healing. 
He gave them what they needed, and they went and they spread the gospel. So as a church, we have to go, in today's time, yes, we still have miracles, even though we doubt. That's a reality. In today's church, the Pentecostal church, we actually have doubts that God can actually still raise the dead. We have doubts that God can heal cancer. We have doubts that God can heal the blind eye. We have doubts that God can heal the deaf. And even though we preach it and we teach it and we say, Good, you know, the power of God, and he's able to do anything. But then we go, but is he really in our mind? Is he really going to do it? I really wish that he would do something like that today. Versus us actually going, the word says, as it is in heaven, so shall it be here on earth. And that when we actually accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he gave us power over spiritual wickedness in high and low places. And that God's will and design for us is actually for us to prosper and to be whole and to live a life of joy. So if I'm living a life where I can't see out of my left eye and I'm coming to a place where I got a little faith because all it takes is mustard seed faith to move a mountain. And if that mountain is the blindness of my left eye and I come and the pastor is speaking a message about healing and if that pastor connects with the Holy Spirit and he himself or she herself believes it without a shadow of a doubt that God is a healer, and I got that mustard seed faith, I'm telling you now, my eyesight will be healed in Jesus' name. And it may be a journey where I have to go like the man and go wash it out in the pool, but the initial faith was activated for my healing. But in being tangible, touchable, we got to be bold enough to say, is there anyone in this house that needs healing? And when they come up, speak, what is the healing? What is it? This, 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 and that. And God will manifest his healing in any way that he wants. But it's our job to call it out, to have faith that it's going to be done. And then what happens is when it is done, they go tell. And then sometimes we have to do other forms of marketing. Put up a billboard, do mail outs, do doorknock. If you don't want to spend too much money, you print it out. And trust me, we as Influencers Church have done this. It's not all about the bling bling. We put on our shoes, we lace them up, and we say, what neighborhood are you doing? Well, I'm going to deliver to 150 houses in this block. Okay, what neighborhood are you doing? I'm going to do this 300 block, and I've got the youth department doing this. Okay, well, what? i got the young adults doing this. i got the creative department doing this. And so we... We'll go out with all of these flyers, and we just go mailbox to mailbox. And we could easily just say, well, let's write a check and have someone else do it. But what happens when they get it that way, junk mail, throw it away. But when you have individuals that are on the, like, right there marching, if Rob is cutting his grass, and I walk up, Hey, how are you doing today, sir? I just want to put this in the mailbox or I can just hand it to you straight. And then he can look at me and go, what is this? 
Ah, uh, we're doing a special event um, for Easter. You know, obviously Easter Sunday is right around the corner, but we actually have a good Friday service. Uh, it's just a one-hour service in the morning. So if you're free on Friday, you know, feel free to come. It's March 30th. It's right around the corner. We're actually like in that building right there. It'd be great to have you. And if you do come, um, make sure you find me. Like, you can't miss me. I'm the only black American with a beard on the... Like, th those are conversations that I have, and that's our way of marketing. And if Rob actually has an experience with Christ, but he's been torn away for whatever reason, that also is an opportunity for me to minister to him and allow him to have an opportunity to come back to Christ. So I ask you now, how often do you look to discover? How often do you disciple and then this is my favorite one. How willing are you to deploy? So when we deploy, a lot of times we don't want to release people because that person is better at what they do than we are. And we go, well, I can't let you. Not, I, you got three more years. You got to sit under me for three more years. Okay, well, it's been 15 years, so... Trying to figure out when this time is going. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. All right? And then we sit here and we go, well, okay, I'm, stay humble. I'm, I'm talking to you very plainly because if I over-spiritualize it, then it, you just go, oh, I've seen this, heard this, I've read this before. But in today's reality, we are guilty of doing that. So, True example, I'm the worship pastor, so obviously everyone and their mama, cousin, auntie, uncles, fathers can sing. Whether it's pleasing to the ear or not, they can sing. And I have people on my team that come and they say, you know, oh, Pastor Josh, you know, I know the Holy Spirit has called me to, to be on the platform and, you know, and I, I've been singing since I was three months old and, you know, and blah, blah, yada, yada. And I go, that's great. So awesome. Um, so what are you looking for from me? Well, I just need to know how to get on the platform. Oh, well, in my world uh, and in this ministry, we don't chase platforms. Because platform is actually everywhere you step. So... That just happens to be a stage that was built inside of a building that when we all come together and glorify the name of God, the pastor has trusted me to lead the people. So I hold that very dear. But my lifestyle is actually a platform as well. So um, what platform are you chasing again? Oh, well, I never understood it that way. Well, I'm thankful, but, but I do know how to sing. And then they sing, and I go, oh, great. So this is the journey we are because you actually are not ready. And I put them on a journey. And then I also have people that come humbly and just go, I just know that this is God gave me a gift. And they are just amazing. Like they can sing. And that is the, like, it's music to my ears because my job is not only to, you know, grow the kingdom of God, but I need to replace myself. I actually want to multiply myself 3, 5, 15, 20 times over.
Because if I am the worship pastor for Influencers Church for the next 15, 20 years, and I've actually done a terrible thing because I have not allowed anyone else to be seen, heard, or displayed in their giftings because of insecurity. So with us deploying, the moment that they are saved, because they got to be saved, and they grab a hold of the vision, and they have the right heart, and they're doing everything that, you know, the leadership is actually teaching and, and, and feeding, and they have fruit of that. It's not just a conversation, yeah, everything's good. Yeah, I prayed in tongues for 30 minutes today. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, uh-huh, good. All right, now I'm ready. No, it's in that time period, whether if it's six months or six years, whatever it may be, right? Because everyone's on a different path. But the moment that they are ready, it's let's go. You, I don't even want to do it. And I don't care that people say, oh, Pastor Josh, when you sing, it's anointed. But when Sally sings, oof, the Holy Ghost just floods the. And I'm going, yes, amen. I'm glad. I got, I'm not going to have Sally sing every week, but she, when she sings, you know, because other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? But sometimes out of our insecurity, even though we, want, we don't want to call it insecurities, or sometimes out of fear, and it goes both ways, right? So we fear or have an insecurity that they will fail or that they're good enough to where other people will want them more than they want us. But it really shouldn't be about any of that because God is actually the person that gave them the gift and the Holy Spirit should be the one that's operating through them to get to the destination or the purpose of growing the kingdom of God. So the moment that um, you identify someone, you discover someone, and then you disciple them, in your discipling, you have to be able to be ready to deploy them. Because here's the thing, they will be able to reach people that you cannot. And I'm not saying everyone has to have a multiple campus system in their church, but there are regions in, within your region that your voice will not reach. But they happen to drive that way or they go to work or they cross paths with people and they actually can bring them to your one location and then the same thing happens over again and the kingdom of God has been grown. I'll finish with this. We have a system in place and it's you watch me, we do together, I watch you, and then you do. So you watch me. So for an example, Watch how I lead, watch how I preach, watch how I teach, watch how I do all of the above. And then we're going to do that together. Now, you got to be ready that when we're doing it together, I'm going to break down every, I'm like, if it's something you're doing, something that's not right, or that word of correction, be ready to accept it. Because that's going to let you know how much discipling, how much more discipling they're going to need. But then once you get to that point, to where you've done it together, now I'm going to watch you. And the moment that you can see the fruit being developed, you're like, ah, oh, yes, he or she has it. They're where 
They're, they're where they need to be. They're on the right path. And then you go, now I commission you to do the same thing that I just did with you so that I can do the same system with this next person. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. We adore you. We ask right now that the words, the system, the practical things, God, can also be converted to the spiritual God and that it's all about growing your kingdom. And uh, we ask right now, God, that this will be sealed by your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.